thinking of a master plan because ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand so i dig in my pocket all my money spent dig deeper still come up with a lid wow follow the money money, my friend Uh, i usually say show me the money it's kind of like tom (laughs) cruise (laughs) (laughs) yes no i don't don't know where i was going with that i'm actually going to see them them perform tonight funny enough so they're they're on my mind and I show paid in full the song. Show me the money. Follow the money. We're going to be talking about uh, fraud today, and uh, how to detect it, and and uh, beyond. I'm sure. And I know very little, thankfully, about fraud, <laughs> either side of the coin, on that front. Uh, but we were thrilled to have Allison Miller on joining us, who knows a bit, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that and other things, probably. Uh, connected to black hat this year and, and the work that she's doing at ions so allison yep. great to have you on the show thank you so excited to be here yeah and this is funny because we're still probably going to call it chats on the road because we haven't got to las vegas yet yeah. but there are people that are there because black hat is <laughs> happening and, and you're certainly there we're so just driving in our, yeah you can yeah I, I think we're lost in the desert somewhere from point a to point b but uh Elizon, yes she made it there so maybe she can be for for a few minutes our eyes and uh, and ears on the floor but before we get there we want to know who Elizon is so um little introduction about yourself or our audience yeah hey everyone i'm i'm allison miller um i am one of the the ians organization's newest faculty members and part of what i'll be doing is helping sort of build out capabilities for any clients who have questions about fraud and anti-abuse as well as the traditional uh, questions and queries on cybersecurity. so uh, my background i've gone back and forth between enterprise cybersecurity product security, anti-abuse, and fraud multiple times in my career. Um, I've worked at places like Visa, PayPal, eBay, Skype, Electronic Arts, Google, Bank of America, and most recently Reddit. In many of those roles, I had a pure cyber role or a pure anti-fraud role. And in a few of those, I had a hybrid role where I was dealing with issues across both sides of the fence, if you will. Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand about the the different roles, separate, together, hybrid, uh, mixing, and in your in your journey. Uh, I mean, my my view of this was fraud, financial services. <laughs> That's where a lot of a lot of investment has been made to keep credit card fraud down and things like that. Maybe the healthcare space as well. Um, but when you it's easy to forget that even if it's not a financially driven or a financial services company, there's still a potential for fraud. Gift cards is probably one thing um, as one example, but online commerce and other all kinds of weird stuff. So I don't know if you can maybe kind of provide us with a a view of that space. Um, Fraud, what types, where it happens, because in your role, looking at that stuff, what, do you, what are the things that, uh, that you care about most? Yes. So uh, fraud and risk are two terms that they mean different things in context. They mean different things in different industries. So um, 
in financial services or in the area of financial services where I cut my teeth on this, fraud was one type of risk. Another type of risk might be credit risk. And these are in-product problems. They were not enterprise cybersecurity problems. They were product and marketing problems, which meant that oftentimes the risk team, which dealt with issues of both fraud and credit and maybe some other risks, would was much more likely to sit next to marketing <laughs> than to a, a team like security, which was typically traditionally focused on, you know, working on the security perimeter of the organization and then everything inside. Now, these days, a lot of times when folks say risk, they don't mean what I think of, which is a very sort of quantitative approach to measuring potential losses in terms of dollars. They mean the risk as in the meaty middle of GRC, which is uh, sort of a different set of practices, maybe. And sometimes when folks say fraud, they don't mean transactional fraud or kind of like a portfolio um, level uh, risk exposure of fraud. Um, they mean something like insider threat and the idea that someone would abuse their credentials inside the organization to engage in illegal behavior that would involve losses, but is not the par for the course every day uh, thing that you might see attempted if you are processing thousands or millions of transactions per day. So um, when I say risk and when I say fraud, I'm usually describing things that are related to transactions, to payments, to money movement in mass. Um, that's, that's usually where my head goes. But of course, I listen, you know, <laughs> when I'm amongst uh, cybersecurity risk analysts, I, I can turn my head over a little more to the GRC side of things. So you made the distinction and for someone like me that is not into these this, you know, specifics, I still see that once you go into cybersecurity and you kind of mentioned that it, they magically though, they do reconnect together. And before we started, we were asking you like fusion teams, which sounds like some right. special task that, that do this. And, and you said that's, that's how you reconnect in a way the thing. So strategically speaking, how do you divide it in the, in the team and the business and how you, then you, reconnect it, but keep it separate. You know, it sounds like a well, balancing act. Yes. So I think that um, they don't always connect, but they could connect. <laughs> and so here are some of the places where I've seen them connect. One is that an anti-fraud team, a traditional anti-fraud team, the way that I kind of just explained, they would not necessarily invest in threat intel. But that's actually like the beginning of the transaction life cycle in some ways, because you could have someone's credentials be dumped somewhere and then they might be abused in the process of conducting a transaction. So a cybersecurity team would be more likely to be monitoring for that kind of thing and might be able to pull that intelligence and forward it over to a, a fraud detection team for them, for them to, to use and incorporate into their strategies. Another place where it, things could connect, sort of, is the idea that both teams have this concept of detection. They're looking for anomalies. They're looking for known heuristics of bad behavior. And so 
it's not necessarily the same tool set uh, because there tend to be bespoke systems hooked right into payment processing for the, the fraud folk. And then the security folk are looking from telemetry, I would sort of describe it as layer seven down, <laughs> while the fraud folks may be looking at things that are layer eight and up if we had higher <laughs> layers than eight. Um, but there are sort of some interesting things that happen also in this third spot, which is where there's an online interaction with a user. A user needs to actually, um, hello, <laughs> log, into, log into a system, in which case there's this idea of authentication and abuse of authentication credentials, which is a place sometimes, well, it is where cyber teams play when we're talking about enterprise authentication use cases and is authentication of consumers, is consumer identity so different? Um, so there's some expertise there that can be shared, um, some potential heuristics, bad lists, um, and, and things of that nature that it's a little fluid sometimes who might be the one who is responsible for putting in the technical controls, even if, for example, it's the fraud team that would put in the detective controls here and the security team that might put the intelligence gathering tools there. So for me, as you're talking about these things where they might connect, um, I'm thinking of scenarios on both sides and, and I, I guess what I see is an application right, at, at yeah. the front at the front of this, mm -hmm. and uh, it's either a web app to do some business transaction or B to B to C transaction. Um, if it's financially driven, fraud teams might look for behavior related to that. If it's uh, if it's about trying to breach the app to gain access to other things, the security team would probably look to those activities. But in both situations, it, it, it's behavior and action and, and looking for bad things happening. And so in that context, it's still an application development <laughs> process, right? So um, in some cases, it's manipulating the app to gain access. Some cases, manipulating the app to change prices, get discounts. Uh... Yes-ish. 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 So this is um, where I am excited that I feel like product security is expanding in deeper into product in places, which I think is really healthy and lovely. Um, for a long time, app security and product security was about bugs in the code, right? But there, there is a problem um, that could be exploited within the application where with fraud, the application is working perfectly. It's working as intended. It's just that the user has bad intentions. And so they are abusing the existing, you know, perfectly healthy design of the application. They're using it as intended, WAI, <laughs> working as intended. Uh, and so that's, that's very tricky in that you're looking for bad behavior that looks almost exactly like good behavior, which means that you are, when you are looking for anomalies or you are looking for patterns, um, you're looking for behaviors, but you are looking for, it, it's, it's, a, it's a subset within a pool of things that really are, it, it really is legitimate use of the app. It's just with malicious intent. The, which kind of brings us a little bit to where I have seen the dividing line between um, security and fraud, which is 
a, a fraud team, um, a fraud teams are typically, they have something that they can do. If they think that a transaction is a bad transaction, they could decline the transaction in real time. They can decline it. Um, they can put a hold on it. They could ask for a step up level of authentication. They're in the product. They're affecting users. And that is something that uh, not all security teams are really invited to do, which is affect the flow of money and affect, and affect user experience quite so directly. Um, security, of course, is value for the company. It's a value for the consumers our customers of a platform, but <laughs> um, when it comes down to real decisions in dollars and cents, those are product decisions, which is why the fraud teams tend to be a little bit more aligned on the product side of things. Um, the, the sort of philosophical difference here too, is that I'm not gonna say that fraud teams have an easier problem of it, but they have a very clear feedback loop when a transaction goes badly that they can train off to great levels of precision so that you can actually make very rational decisions about what your cutoffs are going to be, how much fraud you're going to allow through versus how many um, good customers might be declined. Uh, and security has always had, it's not a point, like there's a process, a checkout flow or a payment transaction. It is a flow and you can make point decisions at a point in time where cybersecurity has always had to manage this multidimensional surface, <laughs> right? And so uh, something weird could happen anywhere at any time because any app could have a vuln in it. And that is why um, intrusion detection is so hairy. <laughs> it happens at multiple levels of the stack and across entire organizational um, services, both production technology and enterprise technology. So it's just a different um, and and almost no feedback loop at all. Like you cannot know for months, years or ever if if something did happen that was unauthorized or untoward. Uh, so it's it's very difficult to develop automation that works at the level of precision with which you could have a highly rational economic financial um, trade-off discussion with folks about trade-offs with user experience or production quality versus um, the prevention of bad things happening. Wow, I'm confused. Uh, <laughs> I, no, 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 actually you did a great job in, in explaining. I was more confused before, but I do see a, a lot of complexity here. And I, I'm thinking in my head, you know, the, the cybersecurity theme is trying to prevent things to happen. Then it all fails because the human getting a perfect machine and, and take advantage of it. Then you get this special team where they're like, all right, now we got to get on the product, block the transaction, do something else. So this is like my movie mind working. But you work with this as an advisor with the CEOs and the CISOs, and we always know that it's a very hard job to make the connection between the business and the security and the budget. And we're getting better, but maybe some um, some uh, experience that you had on you know how well how better strategize these functions in in the business and how maybe the CISO role is changing. Um, sure. Even the CEO role is changing. I don't know. I'm asking <laughs> you. Sure. Um, I I think that I think that 
Um, one of the things that I love about fraud is that the problem starts as money. So it's sort of easier to size it as money versus many problems of cybersecurity, which um, there are technology problems. Uh, you know, you can you can see an impact, but how do you how do you measure the potential financial impact of some of these things? Where with fraud, again, not saying that it's easier, just saying that you don't have to necessarily do that translation of things into dollars because you're starting with dollars and ending with dollars, which makes which has in the past for me made some budget decisions a lot easier, right? Because when you walk in and you say, I can prevent a billion dollars in losses at the cost of $350,000 and, you know, um, 200 dev days, I mean, that would be amazing. Wouldn't that be amazing? But you can have those levels of conversation where you can say, this is the investment. We, we know how much the investment costs, and this is the projected loss savings. Um, and so when you can have a conversation like that, it's an easy conversation to have with someone in finance because it's really just a question of like, is that the right, <laughs> is that the right rate of return as far as our investment versus conversations in security where you can say, well, we'll improve our maturity level by this much or we'll reduce the risk. It'll go from high to medium. <laughs> um, I think the closest that I have seen in in cyber like pure enterprise cybersecurity is when you're able to talk about investments you're going to make in either a um, that's going to answer questions that potential customers have so you'd be more likely to land some you know big deals because of course customers now with their supply chain risk they have expectations that's one and then the other two the other example is when you're able to have a discussion that say this can these controls will help us reduce the cost of our cyber insurance by x um, so those are the closest that you can get uh, However, <laughs> I, I encourage every CISO everywhere to partner with their engineering and infra team. You can also make arguments around um, facilitating, facilitating the speed of development or improving the reliability of infrastructure. Those are also big ticket items that you could contribute to and you can get at some of those financial discussions, but it remains squirrely. <laughs> um, and what I'm seeing, though, is uh, I, while in a lot of organizations, the interests of fraud are very different than the interests of cybersecurity, although there are some touch points and maybe some common technologies, and of course, a heated interest in um, profiling the bad actors, I am seeing CISOs being asked to step up and broaden their remit in a couple of different ways. One is taking some responsibility for fraud and anti-abuse. I did some of that when I was at Reddit, for example, um, and uh, a little bit at Electronic Arts, a couple places where I've worked, I've been asked to kind of bridge domains. Um, and then other places folks are asking security and CISOs to take on IT, you know, other internal um, services, technology services. And in some places, I do see security making inroads or connecting with infra or engineering. And so there's this interesting kind of where does it make sense to broaden the CISO's role? Because the CISO within technology is the primary 
risk executive. So what other risks or what other services are CISOs being asked to take on? It varies widely as far as the maturity of the company and also kind of the interest and background of the CISOs themselves. But it is interesting to see how the, the, the term CISO now means many different things in many different places. Oh boy, so many questions. Um, let me go with this one. So the, the, the fraud team, it starts and ends with money. Uh, mm-hmm. So starts and finishes easy. The middle part is kind of what I want to talk to you about because for security, uh, we don't have the money measurement. So we're looking at things like MTTX, all the, all the times to do stuff. And, and then we get caught up in the, well, how many times are we doing those things? (laughs) Which just says we're really busy and, and maybe we're shaving seconds off of minutes or even hours. Um, I'm wondering, are there any lessons from the fraud team in their, their chewy middle bits though? Um, If we don't have the money part to hang on in either end, and all we have is what I call the middle with no ends, uh, the MTT stuff. Are there things that the fraud team does in the middle for measurements and communicating, or is it is it just the money? <laughs> or because I'm thinking there has to be stuff that they're doing to know that their teams are actually doing it the best way possible, and and if they can tune these dials, they might save ten percent more and, and loss. Um, so I don't know. What about the middle bits? Are there things that security right. teams can benefit from? Well, I like that question. I, I think that I think that one of the things that I really appreciated from fraud was their their testing methodologies. Um, the idea of sampling in order to kind of understand how big a problem is. So the way that these fraud models work or the training of the fraud models work is you have all of this backend data that you've collected, you know, on all the transactions that went right and went wrong. And then you use magic. I mean, ML and AI and statistics and all of those things to kind of understand, well, what are the factors that, you know, the risk factors that we really need to look at, but then you test that you sort of test that in test that against forward-looking data you're not sure about yet and you you sample um, and you may try your risk models in production with resources looking at the results and kind of assessing doing things by hand in order to make sure that you have confidence in what you've built but ultimately this idea of measuring your detection capabilities and just constantly testing it I feel like is almost like a combination of like red teaming and and our own our own detection capabilities in cyber in a lot of cases we just kind of trust what comes out of the what comes out of the tool like something blinks so we go look at it but how can we test it more rigorously and I do I do see um, some startups may be trying to solve that problem and teams that have the time and resources kind of investing in it. Um, SOAR and some of the things around automating playbooks, I think, is a, is a really great step in that direction. But I, I, I guess what I would say is 
while fraud models are very powerful and one of the things that makes them so powerful is how much confidence the teams can have in them. It's from the fact that they've really, really tested rigorously. And so um, there's, there's two lessons in there. One is about the testing and the testing of our own stuff and how we might do that. The other is the idea that you can, um, you can get a sense of how performance is going via sampling, which um, we, don't, we don't do quite as much. I suspect that's because we have so much data. <laughs> and like I said, it's a surface area. It's not just a type of transaction that you can like look at one thing at one point in time and, and, and really come to solid conclusions about it. But I think the sampling might help us get better confidence in our own metrics and measurements. I, I can't get out of my head the, the idea that there are, you said people are, the fraud team is in the app, right? And maybe yeah. it's multiple systems and apps uh, that, that create this, this business process, but they're inside that. And we don't have that luxury in cybersecurity at the um, moment. I, mm, yeah. We don't have that luxury. We also don't have that accountability. <laughs> Right. But so my, my question is, do you, do you foresee a future where we have, well, we have the data, but we, we can analyze the data in a way where we have confidence as a security ops team, SecOps team to say this activity, I'm, I'm not going to block everybody, but I want to block this and, and ask for this step. I mean, I know it exists in some places, but do you think we'll, we'll get to a point where it's widespread and, and we actually have the responsibility and the opportunity to be more like the fraud team in that regard. Right. I think that, I think that um, there's a natural place for the fraud team to sort of sit in the back end of a front end experience. Um, if you sort of think in your head as a consumer, when you're going through the checkout flow, you log into the, let's say it's an e-commerce website, you log into the site, um, you, you already have a basket, you click checkout, it asks you to fill in shipping address, maybe reconfirm your financial details. Let's assume you'd never entered them before. Like there's all of these sort of steps. And then there's the, you press submit and the order is submitted. So all along that chain, there can be things that a fraud team is looking at because ultimately that last clicking submit having the transaction go through, that's the thing where value moves, money moves. And so it's a natural place for them to sit and make a decision of some kind. Um, hold the transaction, decline the transaction, ask for more information, get them on the phone, whatever whatever that is. With security, I'm not, I, I think that the most likely place for us to start having um, some of those discussions where we would live on the app or around the app would be at login because it's an authentication. That's our sweet spot. We know authentication and authentication is that first step from the wild internet into our application, into our business. That said, it's the most dangerous place to play because if you, if you have, if you have blocked a good customer, they have no, they, they can't get in. So it, it, it can, it can create a really terrible user experience. So the most natural point is also the riskiest point. Um, and so I, I do though see 
places where fusion is being considered consumer identity because it's authentication and that's something that security folk know and because it is that first step in from the wild outside to the you know clear and coherent inside of our businesses that that is where security is being invited to play interesting yeah interesting i'm, I'm picturing uh well, there's, if you can put a layer between and subnet and keep things separate, then you don't have the single one place. You have multiple places to, to control. Right. But anyway, and I, I digress. A, a, a place <laughs> where, so um, I think wanting to be directly in the application, I just don't think most security teams have the product and engineering resources that they would really want to get there. But a place where fusion is really effective is, let's say there is a fraud ring or um, or uh, a bot, a botnet that is particularly pernicious. Fraud teams, because they're focused on making these very precise decisions at this single point, they 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 are happy to take as input. Um, intelligence that has been called by a smart threat intel team and figure out how to incorporate that into the decision that they make. They can figure out, they can work through some of the false positive issues and things like that. It's very valuable data. It's very valuable collaboration. It doesn't require that security kind of take ownership within the product. But a place, but I, you know, I, I tend to focus on retail and payment and financial services. You know where I would really love to see cyber teams um, uh, connect with fraud teams where they are sort of, I'm not going to say both weak, but where they could both really use each other's help is in things like API abuse. Um, yeah. not necessarily payment specific, because then it's this like weird, it's an, it's an abuse of the app, but it could be an attack on the API. And how do you, you know, how, how do you tell authorized behavior from unauthorized behavior? So that's, that's, that's where I think um, besides payment flows, <laughs> collaboration would be fantastic. That makes complete sense to me. Yeah. I'm talking about collaboration. Um collaborate with us for a second we, we're not in vegas <laughs> and you are so we want to know we're curious like you know how's black hat going over there we know you you were there for a CISO summit we know you can't tell much about it but you know kind of like uh let's close with the your experience at uh, black hat so far sure so um i'm hearing great things from b-sides um, I was at the CISO summit yesterday, which was fantastic. That lineup is on the website. It's Chatham House Rules, but uh, all of the presenters did a great job. Lots of good information shared. And then I was just on the show floor a few minutes ago. The expo hall is packed. Um, there are so many people here. And I, I, I think that it, it, it feels feels like black hat so it's been a couple of years where things have been a little funky and and i just feel like everyone is so excited to see each other um i've talked to a lot of great startups who are working on things they're really excited about um and a lot of information exchange and telling of tales <laughs> so it's, it's good so far i'm sorry that you're not here yeah, you know, we, we have a little bit of fear of missing out, but at the same time, you know, we 
we, I think we contributed quite a bit with a lot of conversation before the event. So our job was actually to have people come and see the speakers, the one open to the public, of course. And right. uh, so, you know, we, we're doing our thing. But yes, of course, I miss to, we miss to see a lot of good friends over there. But probably next year we'll be back. Uh, in the meantime, I want to thank you for this uh, conversation with us. And uh, I want to thank everybody who's been listening so far with all the conversation we had. I believe, Sean, we still have one more to go at probably the, after least, the event. At, at least, least one, one more. <laughs> I know we have uh, Diana Initiative. Coming. Oh, yeah. I, think there, I think there may be one more as well Yeah. Uh, beyond that. So uh, lots, of, lots of chats to and yep. from Vegas occurred here. Awesome. Or virtually from Vegas. Or so, Alison, thank Vegas. you so much. <laughs> And, and for yes. everybody that's been listening, we hope you enjoyed this conversation as well as the other one. And you can go on itspmagazine.com to uh, check out all the conversation and everything that is happening in Las Vegas with Black Hat. So thank you so much. <laughs>